All right, welcome back to Let's Talk Title with Emerald Coast Title Services. I'm president and host, Dion Moniz, and we have our director of operations and co-host, Ashley Bowen. Hello, hello. Hi. How are things? Good, and today we're going to be discussing, I think, a more interesting yes. <laughs> sections of the contract. So this is part three of our series on contracts, where we're going over the contracts, uh, the two that are primarily used in Florida, Farbar and Crisp. And uh, last time we went through the financing contingency. Uh, today we're going to start with closing costs. Mm -hmm. And we'll get through a few pages. We think this is a four-part series. We don't know. It might be five. We'll see, depending on how long it takes us to get through It started off today. as three. It started off as three, now it's four, <laughs> so we'll see. But uh, So anyway, let's talk about closing costs, Ashley. All right. So this is the section in the contract um, where your negotiations um, really take place when, when you're filling out your, your contract, your offer. Um, what are you going to ask for? Um, and it lists what is customarily paid by the seller, um, and then you have um, an other. So in section in Farbar, section 9C is where you get to choose. The buyer is going to pay the closing costs and, title, and owner's title insurance, or if the seller is going to. And just so we're clear, the owner's policy and closing costs related to the owner's policy would be the settlement fee, title search, lien search, um, and then the owner's policy. But either way, regardless, the buyer's still responsible for the lender's title insurance policy. So they're still going to have a title insurance charge. Um, so let's first talk about what's standard for Okaloosa and Walton County versus some of the other counties. So in Okaloosa, Walton. Historically, um, Okaloosa and Walton County, the seller pays the dock stamps, which is listed in the meat of the contract as a seller charge, and then the buyer pays for the owner's policy and charges. Um, but in South Florida and in Bay County, um, most of the rest of the state, it's customary for the seller to pay the dock stamps and the um, title insurance. Title, yeah. Which um, makes sense if you look at it in um, that the seller is trying to convey clear title, and so they're providing this title insurance policy proving that they've they've given you clear title. Right. But like I said, it's typically in Oakloose and Walton, it's going to be a buyer. Yeah, so it's odd because in Bay County, where I used to live, yeah, the seller pays all of it, uh, whereas now it's kind of split. Usually doc stamps and title kind of are neck Pretty and close. neck. Yeah, so... Uh, almost 50-50, uh, whereas Bay County seller pays all of it, but that can be negotiated, and so it all can be negotiated. Right. So there's a specific uh, opportunity to where it's actually cheaper for the seller to flip it and pay for the title insurance and put the dock stamps on the buyer. And when is that? Reissue credit. So yes. if um, the property has been sold or was purchased within three years, if the seller bought it within three years ago, then there's a reissue credit, which is up to 40% of the title insurance premium. And so in, in that instance, if the seller pays title, they're going to be paying less than they would with the doc stamp. So if right. you flip it, but you have to either line through and have everybody initial on the doc stamps part and add it in other down here in the buyer's section or um, write it in additional terms and have everybody initial and execute. Correct. So if you're on the seller side and it's been within three years of when you purchased the property, 
you or your agent can reach out to us. I think our closing cost calculator will actually do it, but we can we can give you what the reissue credit would be so you can make that comparison and figure out whether it's cheaper to pay doc stamps versus title uh, so that you can negotiate that um, for your seller clients and uh, hopefully uh, or probably save them could be several thousand dollars because again it's up to 40% discount from the premium um, for the title policy. Mm -hmm. But so to your prior point even if seller is agrees to pay title you're saying that buyer still has to pay for lender's policy. Yes, but we are going to give it to them at a simultaneous issue rate, so it's going to be much less. They're going to basically pay um, the, is, if the loan amount is less than the purchase price, they're basically going to be stuck with about $250, which is the simultaneous issue rate, plus <clears throat> the title endorsements. Yeah, so m minimal. Yeah, it is. But still, I, I've seen um, agents when I give them a settlement statement to review before closing, they'll say, hey, but the seller is paying all title, but it's not all title, it's, it's just the owner's policy. Yeah, because buyer is always responsible for anything related to the loan, if there's financing. Yes. And so that's why... But that's also negotiable. I mean, you can always that's say true. the seller will pay all title, including lender policy. Well, and that's a great point. So if the intent is you want seller to pay everything related to title, that needs to be specified in the contract. Yes. So keep that in mind. Now, one of the differences between CRISP and FARBAR on closing costs is that FARBAR automatically takes into account the municipal lien searches, CRISP does not. And um, estoppel fees and HOA transfer fees yes. are listed in the, um, in the meat of the contract. The CRISP addenda, Homeowners Association or Condo Association, does address the, um, those fees, the transfer fees, capital contribution, or um, estoppel fees, um, but that is something about CRISP is that a lot of the stuff that's already in FARBAR is in CRISP, but it's in an addendum you get, and you have to make sure you attach it. Yeah, exactly. So it puts the onus on the agent to make sure the proper addenda or writers, uh, depending on which contract you're in, uh, are included. So um, that's the thing, you know, municipal lien searches, even if it's a CRISP, we recommend that they get done anyway because it pulls up stuff that could be a problem a title that doesn't otherwise show up and so you're going to see us if it's on Farbar, it's automatically included if it's on crisp you're going to see us recommend that we get one done and then that's paid by uh, typically paid by the seller it's paid by whoever's paying title yeah true um yes. so we always recommend getting them done um i've seen more times than not where we have a, a house under contract word at the closing or not at the closing before the closing yeah um, but we pull um, and like an open permit an expired permit um, that was a previous sellers and our current seller is now having to deal with it and so um, they wish that whenever they closed that they had run a lien search and it would be placed on the seller before them mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a good thing to have so let's talk about that because open permits have been a common issue for us. We, we see that a lot on closings. And so what happens is if you do a closing without the municipal lien search, it doesn't pop up when you buy the property. Well, when you go to sell it, if the buyer on the next round gets the municipal lien search done as part of the, the title work, it shows up, then it's your problem to resolve before you can, before you can close. And so 
let's kind of walk through what happens when there's an open permit and how are they resolved and why it's important to know about them ahead of time. <laughs> well, um, it depends on what the permit is. We've sure. seen some real nasty ones, um, but typically if it's just um, window installation or a new roof, um, we have to just call the, the building department um, or the permitting office, find out who the contractor was, um, call that contractor. They've got to pay a reinstatement fee. It's around 70 bucks typically. Um, and then they need to reopen the permit, call for a final inspection, have the um, county office come out and do their final inspection and then they'll close off the permit. Um, that it's typically pretty darn easy. Um, but there have <laughs> Not been always. Some, yeah. some real nasty ones. Yeah, we had a doozy a couple weeks ago. And we did. Almost and had to extend the closing for it and finally got it, it was resolved the day of. It was a, that one was a doozy. Um, that was more of a commercial type deal. So um, the system that needed to be inspected wasn't one that I had ever had to deal with before. Um, but we had one like five years ago. Um, if you remember the terracotta, the 20-year-old terracotta roof. I do remember that. Um, the final inspection was never done. The roofer from 20 years ago was no longer in business, not even in the state anymore. I couldn't get another roofer to reopen the permit because it was 20 years old and they didn't want to be stuck with trying to get something inspected and approved that they didn't do and it was so old. Um, so then you either have the seller or the, the current owner would have to open the permit and call for an inspection. But if someone who's not a contractor, at least in Walton County, opens up a permit, they have to sign an affidavit with the county stating that they're not going to sell or rent the property for one year. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What a nightmare. It was a nightmare. We finally got it resolved. Yeah. But it, it took several weeks. And so that we did have to extend that closing just, in order to get it done. And a lot of just button heads. Yeah. So, so they came up with an agreement. And so again, it's actually a common issue. So in summary, basically it's when the contractor doesn't get all the permits closed out properly when they get the CO and uh, the owner takes uh, ownership. And so on a municipal lien search, that's going to show up and technically it's a cloud on title. And so again, it has to be resolved at some point. So it's easier, it's better to get that municipal lien search done, even if you're under a crisp contract, so that we can start getting that worked out as soon as possible and be able to close on time. So something else in this closing cost section is there are, there are repair limits right here in this first part of paragraph nine in the FAR bar, um, where it says that you're gonna pay up to a certain dollar amount or a percentage of the purchase price. And um, open permits is one of the three sections. So if you say we're only going to pay up to $500 to get a permit closed out, you try to go get your roof um, permit closed and you need some repaired work done and it's over $500, um, then the buyer... That gives the seller an out by saying it's over it's the, over my limit it's over the limit so either you're going to pay the rest or we don't or we're not going to close yeah so and that's one of the things we preach we always say fill in the blanks but the blanks some of the most important blanks to fill in are for these repair limits because the default is one and a half percent of the purchase price which you know if you're purchasing something a million dollars or more one and a half percent that's a lot of money and so you know obviously if you're on buyer side 
you want that one and a half percent to go on seller. But if you're on seller side, you want to try to reduce that. And you can either change the percentage or actually put a, a dollar amount, uh, a limit. And so how that works is if upon inspection or if there ends up being a permit issue and it exceeds the amount that's agreed in the contract as the repair limit, then seller can go, I'm not paying the rest and buyer has the opportunity to either agree to pay the difference or get out of the contract, in which case the EMD is refundable, but it gives the seller some protection. Uh, an extreme example is back in the days of the Chinese stucco. You know, uh, inspection is done and uh, the stucco has to be replaced on the house. Multi-million dollar house, that one and a half percent would put all of that bill on the seller um, and obviously seller is going to net much less uh, for the house. Now obviously Chinese stucco has to be fixed regardless, but you know, that's an extreme example. But that section allows the risk to be balanced between buyer and seller depending on which side you're on and, and what the issues might be. So important. Important, uh, important thing to think about when you're filling out the contract. Next, um, 9C, 1 and 2 um, is where you choose if the seller is going to pay or the buyer is going to pay. Don't leave those boxes blank. Um, it just pay what? blows my mind whenever I get a contract and there's nothing's checked. And it's like, so? <laughs> yeah, so. What are y'all thinking? And, and Ashley's talking about the section where you check who's paying for title, who's paying for the title policy. Um, and CRISP has uh, a similar section under FARVAR, but, it's 9, 9C. But CRISP does have one that says, um, they'll say buyer to select title agent and pay for the owner's policy or seller to select title agent and pay for the owner's policy or buyer to select owner's policy and seller, seller to pay. pay. Yeah, so it actually gives the ability, because typically the party that pays for the title gets to select uh, the closing agent. And we always want to be the closing agent. Hi, we're Emerald Coast Title Services. Um, but yeah, under CRISP, it actually lets buyer pick and flip it to seller to pay. And that's, that's kind of a cool thing in CRISP that's not in FAR bar. So if you happen to be on a CRISP contract, you, you actually could have a little more control and have seller pay for a title, but still let us do the closing. So, But we still don't like CRISP contracts. <laughs> no, overall, no. Uh, FAR bar is better. Uh, um, and then this also states that um, the buyer, the survey is going to be the buyer's expense, but um, that if the seller has one, they need to provide it to the to the buyer. And it, if you have one, I mean, it's good to go ahead and give it to us and try to let the buyer use it because surveys take time, just like appraisals, and you're just saving everybody Especially time. Especially right now, surveys and appraisals are taking forever because they're so busy. So yeah, if you get a prior survey and we can use it, and that's a whole other topic. Maybe that'll be another podcast episode on... Surveys? Yeah, surveys. But um, typically the seller is supposed to provide it within five days of the effective date. So just ask ahead of time while you're negotiating. There's a prior survey. Typically there is. And get it to us so we can figure out whether that can be used or whether you're going to have to get a new survey. Because to Ashley's point, you're going to want to order that as soon as possible. Because again, surveys and appraisals are taking longer than usual right now. Um, and that's also part of my... Ohio form, you know, when you're at a listing, go ahead and ask them. Yeah, what does Ohio stand for? Only handle it <laughs> once. Um, but go ahead and get that survey. If, if it's a single family residence, you know you're going to need one. They probably mm -hmm. have one, especially if they have a mortgage on the property, unless they've done like any additions, installed a pool or what have you. Um, so I always say at listing, go ahead and try to get 
prior policies and surveys, at least let yep. them know that we're going to need it and so they can start looking for them. Absolutely. Uh, and you'd be surprised when something pops up on a survey that creates a, a title issue like an encroachment. So yeah, you gotta, we gotta have that as soon as possible because it could mess up the financing approval which ties into the financing contingency and whether you met that deadline to get out if you're not going to be approved. But see our last episode for that. <laughs> All right, so home warranty, that's important to fill out. Who's paying for it? What's the limit on it? Special assessments, this is a good one. So, because we have a horror story to tell about the special assessments. We so. do. Um, and note, this does not include condominium or homeowners association special assessments. Correct. These are municipal special assessments. Yes. And there is a section uh, that covers these in both CRISP and FARBAR, and they both have the ability to put or indicate whether seller's gonna pay all of it or it's gonna be prorated, where seller pays the amount accrued up to closing date, buyer pays the assessments thereafter. But go ahead and tell the story that you always like to, to tell Good at one. our seminars. Um, so this, um, the box was marked that said that sellers shall pay the assessments in full prior to the time of closing. Um, the property was in Walton County um, where they had switched from septic to sewer um, throughout many of the old neighborhoods in South Walton County, you'll see it. Um, and it's like, it was maybe like a $10,000 um, assessment that they pay it monthly over 10 or 20 years. And so it was like 12 bucks a month. You know, nobody even thought about it. Like mm -hmm. the seller, it's just something they pay along with their regional utilities bill. Um, but this box was marked that seller will pay it in full at the time of closing, and it was like a, an eight or nine thousand dollar balance left, yep. and the seller was um, to pay it in full according to the contract. And the seller was upset with the realtor for choosing that box or for not pointing it out, and she ended up eating it, eating that. Yeah, so that was an expensive lesson. So obviously if you're on buyer side, you wanna check the box that says seller pays it all. If you're on seller side, you wanna check the box that says it'll be prorated or, or split pre and post closing. So that's something to be mindful of when you fill out the contract because it's typically not checked and it does have a default. When it deems it, if, um, if it's not checked, then option A is deemed selected, which is the one where it prorates, prorates seller pays right. before, buyer pays after. So if you're on seller side though, and you get an offer from buyer and it's checked to where seller pays all of it, make sure that you're, you're, you and your seller are working through that to find out whether there is a big assessment like that that seller might've forgotten about because they're only paying 12 bucks a month on the utility bill. And, Just don't think about it. Yeah, so, because that could be some big exposure and end up costing uh, a, a, an agent's commission or a large part of it anyway. So, very important. Now the cool thing about the as-is contract is under the as-is contract, you have an absolute inspection period slash right to cancel opportunity uh, that does not require a rider or addendum like the other two contracts do. So if you're as-is, the number of days for your inspection, that allows you to back out of the contract for any reason you want to if you don't like anything based on the inspection. Whereas under Crispin uh, Farbar, if you don't have the right to cancel addendum or rider added, then you get to do the inspection if inspection comes back with issues, you have to provide the report to the seller. And if it's within the repair limits, then typically that's on seller. As long as it's to repair uh, issues that go to the working condition. 
versus cosmetic. And so that typically gets argued back and forth, what's working condition versus cosmetic. And it's somewhat defined in each of the contracts. Each one's a little bit different. We won't go and get into the minutia of that, but that's something that I usually have to get involved in if there's an argument as to what's cosmetic versus working condition. But just know that the repair limit only applies to items that are required to, uh, that impact the working condition. Uh, so a hole in the door uh, does not affect the working condition. Um, uh, a busted hinge where the door can't open and close properly does affect the working condition. So that's kind of a small example. So anyway, as long as it's within the repair limits, it's on seller to fix all those working condition issues. If it's in excess, then what happens is the seller then gets the opportunity to get a secondary uh, inspection done by a licensed inspector. And then based on what that comes back with, anything that's in excess of the repair limits, the seller has the opportunity to go, yes, I'll pay for the excess, or no, I won't. And then it goes to buyer to say, okay, well, I'll pay it, let's close, or I'm not gonna pay the excess and not close and then get the EMD back. So a misperception here is that if the inspection report comes back and there's a ton of stuff, the buyer wants to be able to back out, but they can't as long as, or they can't if the seller agrees to pay the excess items. And so you gotta jump through the hoops, you gotta follow all the procedures under this inspection period, uh, which is in both contracts, Crisp and Farbar. And if the seller agrees, again, using the stucco reference, buyer goes, I don't want this house, it's got bad stucco, but if the seller agrees to pay to replace all the stucco in excess of the repair limit, buyer's still locked into the contract and has to close. So if you're on as is, in that situation, buyer can say, I'm out, uh, it's got bad stucco. And if you're within that inspection period, seller has to comply, let you out of the contract and you get your EMD back. So little twist between the two, but again, a common misperception where I've had agents call me up and go, my buyer doesn't want this house, the inspection report came back and it's got all these problems. Buyer can only get out if they follow all the steps and the seller uh, refuses to, to go with the repairs. And so we've seen, we've seen that happen quite a bit yeah. um, where buyers say, I don't want this house and the seller says, well, I'll fix everything. The buyer's locked you're, in, you're has stuck to close or lose the ND. Yep. So I guess that's going to do it for today. So that's... Uh, so much more fun than financing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> way more fun. Not as important in my book. Some of it is, but anyway. Uh, so, so we will see you next time for part four of our series on contracts. Again, we don't know how many parts we're going to do, but... It might, might be the last one. Might be the last one. we still have agenda. We do. Definitely five. So it might be five. <laughs> All right, so again, we're always looking for cool topics uh, that you want us to uh, go over. So drop us a line, uh, contact us at any of our social media outlets Smash the like here. button. Smash that like button. And uh, in the meantime, take care. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.